This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and something scary this way comes. <laughs> Sounds like our show. <laughs> well, yeah, but <laughs> Halloween's on the way, too. It was when the ghosts and demons rise up, witches hit the local bars, and grown-ups snag candy from the kids and ruin the wine they're drinking. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. <laughs> no, it is. I know. But we're going to tell people what they can do to help them. I'm Ray Cushman. I'm Paul Wagner. This is Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Today we're talking about sweet wines, all kinds of them, even the ones that go with Halloween candy. And the reason is because sweet wines are for everyone, even if you don't know it. And we're going to try to convince you. Our food pairing will be candy and wine, of course. A listener asks about buttery Chardonnay. And as usual, we'll make fun of wine snobs. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and today with Halloween about to get all spooky on us, we're talking about sweet wines. Is that what you get out to the little kids <laughs> trick-or-treating? It's not a bad idea. Usually I just give a good rock. Yeah, great. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, so we're talking about sweet wines because for two reasons. One, they do go with Halloween candy. We will explain that a bit in a second, but also because they take grief from so many corners of the wine world, whether it's the wine snoots or the beginners who think that they're too good for it. And the truth is what we just want people to know is there's some really terrific sweet wines out there. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I think that most real wine connoisseurs would sign right on board with this and say, golly, I love some of the great sweet wines of the world. It's the pretend wine snobs that are right. the ones who fight against the sweet wines and, oh, I only drink dry wines. Right. Well, and it's the pretend wine snobs that we fight against. Yes, it is. Yes. Um, and, you know, I mean, there's so many kinds, right? Yes, you got sweet wines. I mean, some of them are just good by themselves. Um, some of them are aimed specifically at people who are just learning to drink wine, transferring, say, from Starbucks and sodas to wine. So you got some options there. And then there are some that are just spectacular with dessert. Although I once spent a couple of weeks traveling around with the owner of the greatest sweet wine winery in the world, and we drank sweet wines for lunch and dinner every day with a different course, and man, that was good. Thinking about this show the other day, and we had some Asian food. You know, I, yeah. I, I opened up a couple of different Italian and and a Saturn, and and yep. they really, they really are can be if they're not overly sweet, really great. Oh, they can be dinner great. wines as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. The first thing, and this is one of the reasons why, and you've, I say this all the time everywhere I go, and so people don't listen to me anymore. Um, <laughs> not that I can blame them. Actually, and they don't. This is on the natural. They don't that, listen to me. And that's true almost everywhere. Right? It's not true. just about this. Even in my house. Um, <laughs> well, actually, in that case, I cannot blame her. But there's a reason why we say you shouldn't drink regular wine with sweets in general. And Paul, right. I'm going to let you say it this time. One of the secrets to, to matching food and wine is acidity levels. And the real problem you have is that wine, like Coca-Cola, is very high in acid. Even if it's high in sugar, it's still high Can in I acid. Can I use wine to clean my uh, battery terminals? If you want to, I suppose you could do that, Rick, yes. <laughs> yes, that's right. I get, I get and, pulled over when my car can't uh, blow uh, you know, a 0.1 or something. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah, I'm sober, sir, but the car is <laughs> the car's really been, having trouble. The car's been drinking since this morning. 
morning. <laughs> <laughs> so the problem is it's a little bit like serving lemonade with a lemon chiffon pie. Good point. You'd yeah. think, gosh, it works just fine. You got the lemon flavor. Lemonade's kind of sweet. But the tartness in that lemonade is just going to make it taste like it's peeling the enamel right off your teeth if you serve it with lemon pie. Right, right. And what it does do, though, it's like that with so many other kinds of sweet foods. I mean, this is another point when we start we talk about food and wine pairings, we bring these up, is that things like Asian food or spicy food. Right. And it could be Mexican even, you know, that we got some peppers, sweet wines, the sugar works really well. Sugar does help with absorbing some of the heat in a spicy food. Now, I'm a little amused by the term Asian food. Well, that's sure. That that's that's like that's saying a little bit like European food. Yeah, right. I was about to say yeah, but we, so let's we'll talk the the things when we talk about it is but the sweetness of sort of Cantonese Chinese style, the right. spiciness of Mandarin style, the the sweet and spicy together of Thai. All of those right. um, you need and actually sushi. And yeah, and we had sushi just the other night, and this is where one of those uh, sweet wine pairings went really really well. Yep. Mm. Yep. You know, Good. Yeah, so, What'd you have? Yeah. So, uh, we had a, uh, a Vinsanto, an Italian Vinsanto. Ah, an Italian Vinsanto. And, and we had a, 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 nigiri, a handful of nigiri. <laughs> if you were asking about the food? <laughs> no. Was, uh, <laughs> I yeah, only care it was, about It was a wine. lovely Italian Vinsanto. And Vinsanto is uh, one of the Italian-style sweet wines, and it's a little lighter than some, um, and it's, uh, it's, well, it's aged a little bit differently than other sweet wines, but it, is, it was really perfect with it. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry you didn't invite me. Yeah, well, we should have, but then there would have been less for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk a little bit about the different kinds so that people sort of understand them. There is the entry wines for starters. Right. And obviously, one of the wines that everyone describes as an entry wine is white Zinfandel. And it's sweet. And it's balanced. And it's actually, I think, one of the delicious sort of adult soda pops. If you want something with an ice cube in the afternoon on a hot summer day, it's a perfect refresher. Mm-hmm. It's really brought a lot of people into the wine world, kind of the way White Zin did at one point. I just said white zin, right? Well, that's what I'm saying is exactly <laughs> like white zin. Actually, I have to say, you know, for me back in the day, I won't tell that story again, but that was my first, like, you know, go-to-dinner grown-up wine. My, your first kiss was white Zinfandel. No, I, th- I think it was a small chocolate thing wrapped in aluminum foil. It's, <laughs> and what mind. wine would go with that small chocolate kiss? Would it be white Zinfandel? <laughs> no, it would not, actually. I see, okay. I'm thinking that's um, a pairing we're going to do a bit later in the show, by the way. Okay. We're doing all of those. But yeah, yeah. Um, the other wine that's an entry-level wine for a lot of folks these days, because it's become so popular, is Moscato. Right. And it's for the same reasons. Probably a little less acid than white Zinfandel. Both of them refreshingly sweet. Delicious wines. And Moscato comes lots of ways, including a little bit sparkly sometimes. Yep. And that's yep. actually really one of been the very steep growth categories in the wine world for, for, for the moment. And then, you know, one of the things I think that folks, when we talk about I want my wine dry, they're talking about I want it super sweet. But the truth of it is a lot of wines that people drink that we consider straight up dry table wines actually do have some sugar in them. Do have some sugar in them. And in fact, one of the sort of key ways that you can determine if a wine sells for, let's say, maybe under $10, under $8, there's almost all always a little bit of sugar in the less expensive wines. It's one of the reasons they taste smoother. It's not enough to actually taste sweet in a lot of cases. It's just enough to make it taste a little rounder, a little fuller in the mouth. And it's why inexpensive California wines always do very well in competitions because they they have that little pop. And you'll find that probably particularly in Chardonnays and Zinfandels, I think you find a lot of that. Um, Yeah, but it's even true of Cabernet, for example. Oh, yeah. There are some very expensive Chardonnays that have 
little bit of sugar in there. Um, there are some very, very, very popular big name restaurants. We will not mention them, but if you run a restaurant in South Lake Tahoe, for example, you need to have this on your menu. <laughs> um, but but then there's the flip side of this too, because there are some really, really high end uh, sweet wines too. You were just talking about one of them with Chateau de Cam. Right? Chateau de Cam. Yeah, mm. I once traveled around the the country with uh, you're bragging uh, now, Mister. Uh, yeah, well, the the count. He's his account. Alexander de Lourdes-Salus. Oh. And yeah, we had lunch and we had dinner and we had three bottles of uh, Chateau de Cam with each meal uh, with a bunch of journalists and we ate lobster and we ate roasted pork and we ate all sorts of stuff with these delicious sweet wines. And I put on about 45 pounds in two <laughs> weeks. It was pretty good stuff. Yeah, that is the downside, actually. Remember, we've, we've talked about this once before on a different context about what kind of wines have, um, have the most calories. Right. And and the right. thing is that some of these sweet wines are both high in alcohol and sugar. And high in calories. Yeah. yeah so. Well, and let's talk about it's fairly easy to make an inexpensive sweet wine if you have the technology to just stop the fermentation. So you've got a wine where or you've got a must, that's the fermenting grape juice, where the yeast is turning the sugar into alcohol. If you chill that wine, chill that must down to the point where the yeast says, it's too cold to do any work here, I'm stopping, and then filter out the yeast, you got a wine that's got a little bit of sugar left in it. White Zinfandel, Moscato, that's the way those are made. The other end of the spectrum is Chateau de Chem, where they literally only pick the absolutely perfectly ripe berries each time they go through the vineyard. They pick the vineyard, Rick, sometimes as much as 15 times. Berry by berry. Berry and some years berry they don't. Berry by berry, and some years because it's not right, they don't make. They don't wine. make it. That's a heck of a business model. Yeah, but yeah. in the end, then you're ending up with an incredibly expensive wine. That's obviously really time consuming to pick the grapes that way, and when they're that high in sugar, they have a little hard time fermenting. So that's why you can get everything from relatively inexpensive sweet wines to expensive, expensive. More expensive than you and I can afford sweet wines. Yeah, 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 and and good stuff. You know, and uh, uh, I'm I'm queuing up to tell a story that I love. Um, but you know, we we talk about how there's a lot of trash talking, including among the the wine writers and wine critics and wine judges of the world sometimes yes. about wine. But but then when you go to a dinner, that's the case. It's always the case. You know, you'd go to a winemaker dinner and they pour you the six wines. And there's a Sauvignon Blanc and a Chardonnay and a Pinot Noir and a Zinfandel and a Cabernet. And in the last glass, a little bit of the sweet wine. And half the people at the winemaker dinner, oh, no, no, I don't like sweet wines. Don't don't pour any for me. But the waiter, of course, because he's doing his job, pours sweet wine for everybody. Go around that table at the end of dinner and see which glass is empty at every single place. It's always the sweet wine. That's true. Always the treatment. And a lot of talk, but when it comes right down to it, those tongues are leaping out of their mouths and swirling around in that glass trying to lick every last drop of that sweet wine out of the glass. Well, as you know, Paul, people love sweet, which is why they love us. Oh, yes, <laughs> and this do. is the sweet old bottle talk with Rick and Paul. Next up, we will take some questions. Stay with us. listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and it's time to take some questions that go to our proverbial mailbag that used to exist. If you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free with just a little bitty click. 
And if you're new to us and you know, might want to know what qualifies us to be answering questions. Well, I like chocolate. I, I like candy. I think we're good. Okay. Yeah. Good. Right. Yeah. And Paul also likes wine. And he's a, <laughs> he is a respected industry pro until they catch him eating candy. He answers questions on allexperts.com. He teaches Napa Valley College at the Culinary Institute of America around the world. All kinds of places. And Rick is a New York Times bestselling author, longtime journalist, wine commentator for Capital Public Radio. Thank you for this studio. And consults with wineries and restaurants. And I understand he has an addiction problem, but I think it has to do with chocolate. It is totally chocolate. It's the one thing I can't stop. You know, and I know know people, and my wife is one of these people that will have one bite of chocolate, one small piece of chocolate. Yeah. That is the thing that when I have a bite of chocolate, there's a a, a little loud voice, not little, it's a loud voice in my brain says, eat more. More. Have more more of this. There's no yeah, reason yeah, yeah. you shouldn't have more. So I, <laughs> I kind of try to avoid chocolate except for seasons like Halloween, Excellent. which is why I'm excited. All right. Our first question comes from Marie Sanchez in Phoenix. Cool. She's, she or said, hot. <laughs> yes. She said, I heard one of your shows and you answered a question about someone's snobby husband. So I'm giving this a shot. I hope you can do a better job with this one. <laughs> Marie definitely has heard on one of our shows. Oh, oh yeah. But where, where does this, where does this uh, foolish hope come from? Yes, I don't know. Well, she probably hasn't heard enough. My husband is usually a good guy, but when someone brings up any wine, he gets a goofy, dismissive tone, like whatever it is, it's not good enough for him. I think he thinks it makes him sound smart. I think it makes him sound like a dork. What should I tell him to stop? Oh. Boy, I don't have an answer to that, but it doesn't make him sound like a dork. It makes him sound like a jerk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Somebody gives you a gift and you and you immediately let them know that it's not quite good enough and somebody does that for a gift I give them and then chances are next time I'll just go ahead and drink the wine myself and he can buy his own wine yeah and even just just talking about wines this is this is we you know we talk about wine snobs uh, the the really awful version of them it is this is probably the number one trait which is whatever it is that you talk about, bring up, showed up with, poured, right. ordered at the restaurant, they have to show their superior taste by not liking it. By not liking it. And, and to me, the real question here is take the word wine out of that question. Somebody comes to my house and gives us a gift, and my husband lets him know it's not good enough. And I'm thinking, man, that husband is a class A jerk. And I, that's how I would explain it to him. Forget that it's wine. It's a gift. Yeah. Well, and, I, I, and you're sitting there telling people. That she didn't the, say bring us. She said brings up. So it's, I think uh, she's talking about okay. talking. I lines. thought that was just a typo in the. In, yeah. yeah no, okay. She meant, she meant so brings yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I will tell you this: that one of the worst conversations I've ever had at dinner was sitting with two really, really smart, really good wine tasters who spent the entire dinner trying to outdo each other in terms of which wines they had had. Oh, you had the 29? Well, I had the 28. It was even better. The Uh, conversation uh, went on endlessly, and the rest of us started out by being tired. Then we started falling over in our chairs, and finally we started throwing things at them because it was just so unbearably. And they're getting louder and louder, so you will be impressed by them. God, yeah. it was just dreadful. By the, uh, dreadful. And, you know, there's uh, m- my worst version of this was, and this is a story I love to tell, is I w- we went to somebody's house. Ni- rel- relatively nice guy. I mean, he is generally a nice guy, a friend, a uh, married to a uh, very good friend of mine. the talk turned to wine. Well, no, no, no. He oh. So we go there. He pours us a glass of wine. Okay. And it was the wine, the prisoner, which is a very popular wine. Yep. It's a, you yep. know, cabs in blend. And, yep. and, you know, I'm being a nice guy, right? I, and actually, I do like it. And I said, uh, I, like, I like this wine. He goes, I don't. 
He can't help himself. <laughs> so it's the wine that he poured, he poured. us oh, no, at I got a his house, I got a better and he one couldn't help that. himself. No. I got a better one than that. I was once at my pretentious uncle's house, and the only time he had ever held— Uncle Pretentious? Yes, Uncle P. Yeah. <laughs> um, he held a family reunion there, and the only reason he held the family reunion there was because it was a new house. It was the first time he'd ever held the reunion there, and everyone had to come to see his really, really amazing new house. And he started out by pouring a 15-year year old Gamay Beaujolais from California. And he turns to me as he's pouring this wine in. You and I both know Gamay Beaujolais. It's is a very you know young. It's very nice, he, pleasant here little and wine gone, that though, should right? never be aged. Right. Yeah. So he's pouring this, and I, as the wine expert, theoretically, I get the question, what do you think of the wine? And I don't want to make a big deal about it. The wine's dreadful. It's old. It's tired. It's unpleasant. And so he says, what do you think of the wine? And I said, well, I think it's, you know, I think it's pretty much what you'd expect from this producer. You know, I think it's a pretty good oh, example. Oh, good, good duck. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I dodged yeah, and right. we didn't yeah. want to embarrass him in his yeah. own house. Well, he can't take that enough. He actually pours himself a glass of this wine and then announces to the assembled multitude of his family, well, I was going to say I've had a worse wine, but... I can't actually remember when. <laughs> and then he leaves it on the table and says, anybody else want any? Oh, I tell you. All right, so. So he wins. So he, he wins. is the biggest jerk of all. That is true. So He may think that what he is is the most knowledgeable wine person of all, but it turns out he's just the biggest jerk of all. Yeah. So we're not helping Marie in any way here, uh, other than to say that your husband is actually less bad than some. Um, you well, know, and it's, it's the same thing that happens with baseball football, you bring up a topic like that, there is always the person who has to say, oh, no, 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 Montana's nothing when you compare him to Y.A. Tittle yeah. and his... Somebody's all, you know, the one-upmanship, it's, it's, and it's primarily a male disease, and I would just trade him in for somebody who's nicer. Yeah, well, well, if you're married to the guy and he's otherwise good, I say when he brings it up, disagree with him. Oh, uh, yeah. Just say, you know, honey, Ooh, you know, I think you're wrong. I like this wine. I like this wine And in fact, the... you should get me some and stop, <laughs> stop complaining about it. You do that a couple of times. You'd probably Or, or even better. Well, funny, yeah, honey, it's funny that you mentioned that there's another wine you like better because when we had that other wine for dinner, I didn't like it as much as this. I actually like this one yeah. better than well, the I wine say, you just prefer. Disagree with him a few times oh, and yeah. he probably won't do it in public. Oh, that'll yeah. be good. And then, you know, and then when he starts to complain to you privately why it is that he's doing that, you say, because you're being an idiot. Because That's you're why. being a jerk. All right. We have another one. This is from Christy Domaney from Sacramento. She is a food blogger, by the way, in Sacramento. People might know her blog as Cave Girl, G-R-R-L. She's another regular listener. Wow. And uh, and I need and to read the... what did she write about in food blogging? Cave Girl, is it is it a paleo diet? It's sort of. It's evolved since that. And it's okay. a lot of things. She has, you know, kind of... It, kind it of has to evolve. It's, do, if, doing, if it's paleo. Yeah, it's right. It's true. She's <laughs> not of the Pleistocene age or something or whatever. Um, in other words, this is her email. Uh, congrats on the show's one-year anniversary. I've really enjoyed listening. We, we, I just needed to read that part. <laughs> one big reason I moved to Sacramento, uh, California, 11 years ago is to be right in the heart of wine country. I love trying out new wines and learning everything I can about them. I'm a fan of Chardonnay and adore Great Pinot and find joy in the lesser-known varietals like Tempranillo, Roussan, Tarriga Nacional, Torontas, and Cinso, especially Cinso. Boy, she's a name dropper. Yeah, she, she is, and I know oh, I, I've boy. actually talked wine with her, but this, yeah, yeah. this is leading to her question, which is, 
Other than marketing, is there a reason why varietals like Cinso or Tarantis are not widely produced domestically? Okay, so first of all, she gets enormous credit for going into any wine situation and saying, give me the one right. I've never had before. Right, I agree. Right? I don't, I'm, I'm, beyond, I'm willing to go beyond Cabernet and Chardonnay. Give me something like Cinso or Torrentes. That's wonderful. Now, the reason that um, those wines aren't more popular, I'm going to say it's twofold. One of them, as she suggests, is marketing. There's not a lot of this stuff planted. Right. Remember that the guys who plant grapes have to wait four years or more before they really start to see any crop. So you're asking some guy who's planting Sanso to plant a grape that isn't selling very much, isn't very popular, and if he plants it now, maybe in four years, it's going to be more popular and have a market for the grapes. But if it's not, he's got... 10, 12, 15, 45 acres or something that he can't sell. Farmers, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, Rick, farmers tend to be a little conservative when their entire life blood yeah. out there on you the think, vineyard. You think that might have something to do with it? So they're not really excited about planting 175 acres of Torrentes until they know it's going to take off like a rocket. And, of course, so it's sort of a vicious There's circle. a mark, yeah, and, and but, but she sort of nailed it, too, because it is this thing that where uh, it's like with, with many other things, but but— the demand has to be there first. And so, as you were saying, and so the the problem is, is that the demand gets, the old demand gets fanned, right? Whether, you know, wines like right. Chardonnay and Cabernet and Pinot Noir, because it gets fanned because there's so many out there and so right. many good ones out there. Yes. And people come to wine and they find them and they like them. And, and it, they know how to pronounce them. Right. And, and, and that's ask. a big, that's, and yeah, that's yeah. the big part of it. And, uh, and I know Christy well, and she is an adventurous in terms of trying things, both food and wine. Yeah. And, and the thing is with, with most folks, for them, you know, there's always that sort of question going out to dinner or buying a bottle of wine right. is, should I try something new or should I try something I know I'm going to like? Well, it gets and right it, back to and the— And you can't blame them for that. It gets right back to the menu question. I've eaten here before. I love the ribs. Right. Am I going to order the ribs again or am I going to try the— Fettuccine Alfredo, because yeah. I really like the ribs, and what if I don't like the Fettuccine Alfredo? Then, and yeah, that's a challenge for people when they're looking at all these wines. Right. But I agree with her about Torrentes. I'm not I a love fan of Sanso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God bless her. She likes that wine, and good for her. Yeah. Um, but everybody has their favorites. You should play around a little, and if you can find something wonderful and fun that you like, try finding more of it. Yeah. Just, just don't expect a farmer. To plan a whole bunch of it because you're the one of the few people who orders it on a regular basis. Unless you beg from him. All right, we have plenty <laughs> more questions we'll get to a bit later in the show, but that is it for questions for now. If you'd like to ask us a question, you can go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Coming up, since we've been talking scary, there's nothing scarier than horrible wine writing. Stay with us. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. It is time for our regular attempt to scare the heck out of you with some really horrible wine writing. So, Paul, what'd you bring? Oh, a student of mine over at Napa Valley College brought this in, and it's from a very, very big-name wine writer, and I just think this is very funny. Here we go. Yeah, is your seatbelt fastened for this one, Rick? All righty. Delivers an almost inordinate diversity of floral, herbal, citrus, and pit fruit 
predominantly nectarine elements, with the bitterness of pit fruits, smoky pungency of red currant and crushed stone, as well as notes of shrimp shell reduction and iodine, reflecting a long, bittersweet, yet at the same time vibrant, buoyant finish. This silken textured seducer should gain with time in the bottle and be worth following for 10 or a dozen years. Which is about the time it takes to actually read that thing. I'm exhausted. I, I'm, I am uh, silken, <laughs> textured, silken textured seducer. <laughs> I do, smoky I do a, pungency of red currant. Yes, How many red per- currants do you know yes. that are smoky? I, I, don't, I don't think currants smoke. I, I didn't know either. I also like the um, the notes of shrimp shell reduction and iodine. Mm. Yeah, that's what I want to put in my mouth. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that is uh, it's really it's really delicious sounding. It you does know, sound like a love affair, though, because it has a long, bittersweet, and yet at the same time buoyant finish. Yeah, and I, well, you know what? C- I, cue the strings. You know, this yeah. all, this also has that thing where you know we we talk about this all the time in, in wine writing, where it is uh, there's too many there's just all these words, right? And this, this person just couldn't uh, couldn't. Couldn't stop. Couldn't stop. So the, Couldn't the stop. D- diversity of floral, herbal, citrus, and pit fruit, predominantly nectarine. Why just say nectarine? You, you know, Elmas? <laughs> with the bitterness of pit fruits. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, it is the uh, that's already all right. Um, we have. Uh, I actually will. When can we come you top back, that? I, I can, but I'm going to top that in the second half of the show when ah, when we come right back because okay. uh, we need to break as we always do. Okay. Uh, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Don't forget, you can find us in iTunes and ask us questions and all that sort of stuff. Uh, We shall be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we have a bit more horrible wine writing for you because we think it's particularly scary, and it's that time of year. So these are the tricks, not the treats. These are the, definitely the tricks. <laughs> this one is from a blog, and and this is one of the reasons why you and I just well, you pull your hair out. I don't have any hair to pull out. Um, <laughs> but this is a blog that's won awards, and so this is why wine writing is in trouble. Uh, it's this is yeah, it's if, a if it's a respected what, blog among wine writers. If this is won awards, what are the other guys doing? Right. right. And this was part of a pro and con about will there ever be another bad vintage? And the point was, you know, can can is wine winemaking so technologically advanced that they can make up for bad years? Right. Uh, so th- this is what the the one person said. The term vintage, derived from the French word vin, literally translates to the year the grapes were harvested, related to the vegetative cycle of the vine, and is one of the most important aspects of oenology. Okay, this is just the first part of wow. it. This is the introduction that could all, not only did he say like the same thing five times in a row, it is completely <laughs> unnecessary. All right, they keep, but he keeps going, subject to the whims of Mother Nature, because none of that meant that in the first seven sentences. <laughs> it is nearly impossible to declare there will never be a bad vintage again. However, depending upon one's perception what constitutes a bad vintage good wines can still be produced so after all that he says i don't know he says yeah probably yeah probably (laughs) still can make pretty good wines no matter what happens yes this is not this is not this is so this is one of the problems with wine writing is that many wine writers are not actual writers right they don't know anything about writing. Right. They know they something about wine. They haven't taken writing courses. They have never taken writing courses. That's right. Yes, because yes. de- de- derived through the French word vin, literally translate to the year the grapes were harvested. Who doesn't know that? The, vin, I mean, well, you know, you're supposed to aim at the average 
fifth grader or fourth grader or whatever it is. I he's average. Yeah. He's aiming right there. I think around the second grade. Relating to the vegetative cycles of the vine, and he goes on. Which subject to the whims of Mother Nature? Oh dear. Anyway. Yeah, and actually, it's not relating to the vegetative cycles of the vine. It's just the year the grapes were harvested. It has yeah. nothing to do with yeah. the vegetative cycles of the vine. It's one of the but most... vegetative cycles of the vine has a little rhythm to it. We could put a rap song to vegetative cycles of the vine, couldn't we? And it's one of the most important aspects of analogy. Well, actually, it would be viticulture. Because enology is the wine making. <laughs> <That's right. That's laughs> right. wine and if growing. he's talking about the more important aspects of enology, you mean picking the grapes yeah. matters? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it yeah. does. Yes, I, I've heard that somewhere. Yep. All right. That is, that but, the, is... Uh, but the other part of that, Rick, is that that whole tone of the way you talk about wine is the way the British upper class talks to each other because that's how you know they're not my fair lady. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the yeah. rain in Spain falls mainly in the plain, and we have to use these big, long words to know that we're not like, what was her name? Um, Eliza Doolittle. Yeah, yes. The, uh, I, I, no, I was going to try to reconstruct my rain in Spain joke about uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> I, I, at, a, at a group last. It went over really well with the group I talked to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it did. Never mind that. You are listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are now going to another one of our favorite segments, our historic history moment. Oh, boy. My favorite part of the week with those guys pile in here, pump they, it out, you pile know, right out. They play the notes. They hit the road. You guys rock. They are great. Right. Absolutely. And that does mean it's history moment time. So, Paul, since we're talking Swedish wines, sweet-ish wines. They're sweet, but they're not Swedish. Yes. That's right, because what? this one's actually Sicilian. <laughs> That's true. I got a special wine for you, Rick. <laughs> this is Marsala. Named after the port in southern Sicily. And remember that when the British were fighting against Napoleon, there were basically two phases of that. One was the land battle and one was the sea battle. Sea battle was fought off the coast of Alexandria. Admiral Nelson led the fleet and destroyed the French fleet there. And as the British officers, who were exactly those upper-class twits that we've been making fun of in the war, when they sailed by the shores of Marsala, they said, gosh, this looks like it could be wine country. And remember, in those days, they couldn't get French wine because there was a blockade of the French ports because they didn't want to help Napoleon. Right, 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 right. So the English sailors stopped by, added a few ideas on how you ought to make this so that it could taste just like port or Madeira, and basically created a whole new style of wine on the island of Sicily called Marsala. And right now, you can still buy Marsala, although most Americans buy Marsala for one reason only. Cooking. Chicken Marsala. Yep, I love chicken Marsala. I was just thinking about this little Italian restaurant right across the street there from Australia. There you go. Really but that's good. where that wine started, yeah. was actually British upper-class officers in the Navy. Yeah, and 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 it is. Um, and you see, this is where actually the food reference helps. You know, one of the things when we talk about one of the problems with sort of trying to explain wine to folks, you know, instead of just listing flavors, you know, if you say chicken marsala, lots and lots and lots of people now have some idea of the nature of what that wine tastes like. It's the sauce. It tastes like chicken. Yes. No, it tastes like the marsala sauce. <laughs> the wine tastes like chicken. No, it does not. All right. Mine, what have you got? Mine is the history of another sweet wine, ice wine. Or ah, ice wine, as ice they wine. say, um, and and the thing about it is, it is actually a relatively young 
kind of a thing. It mm-hmm. really, at any level of production, not until the 1960s. You know, and there are, and I was looking this up because I, I had always known it as that, and so I sort of did a search you on... You just want to make sure that you weren't wrong about this the way you've been about wrong about, about most so many things, other yes. things. <laughs> for once, I thought I'd try to be, I'd try to be right for once. Excellent. And, um, and there were some mentions of frozen grapes back in Roman times, right. but but I, I think that is absolutely ridiculous, and most of the interpretations of that is that what they really meant was dried grapes. Because they did dry grapes a lot. Right. And Romans, they, they, yeah. and it, the fact, I mean, this is Rome, the grapes, the places where they were getting grapes from, it's not like gonna... they had them freeze <laughs> yeah. for very long or yeah. were able to use that. Um, occasionally, over centuries, there were harvests in places like Germany that are so cold. And German, Germany is actually one of the most northern parts of Europe. So you think right. about the old world making wine. Right. They were as one of the yeah. colder spots. But, you know, and they were pressed. And, so how do you make ice wine? So what, how it works is this. And it started in the 60s. And what you do to make ice wine and reason why it takes some technology is the grapes freeze. And what happens if you think about like actually when, out there on the vine, on the freeze. vine, they freeze. And think about if you freeze, say, lemonade or grape juice in your freezer, there's like this crust of, of ice that's yes. separate from the grape juice. So it's the same thing in the grape. And what they do basically is press off the juice. So now it's way concentrated without right. the ice, leaving the ice behind, leaving the ice behind. Yeah. And you get this really yeah. and, and to be out there that long, the grapes also got very, very ripe, which means the sugars got really, really high. Right. So you get this very sweet, very concentrated, and also a very iffy thing. And the reason why it's iffy is because to do this, to get to the grapes, you can, they can only freeze once. It has to be the first the first real time they're frozen. And it's like anything else. Freezing it a couple of times, it loses its consistency. Right. So one, they have to be able to monitor the freezing, which means they needed the technology at least at some level to, to tell them that's going on. Then they also needed to be able to do, harvest in the dark because the grapes had to stay frozen. Uh-huh. So you can't be doing this in the 1800s. Torchlight. When you, when you did, well, you could, I suppose. This would but, be a great Halloween story. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at, at some kind of volume. <laughs> but, of course, the torches would melt the grapes, so you couldn't harvest it would be by tough. torchlight. Yeah, unless you, yeah. At, uh, wow. Unless you had a series of mirrors that would. Uh, I thought yeah. you were going to tell the story of when you were in college and you took the bottle of Booms Farm and stuck it in the snow. And, yeah, no, and no. stuck it in the freezer until it froze, <laughs> and then you filtered out the ice, and you ended up with something that was a lot higher in alcohol, no, that, and you told your no, friends, that was ice vine. We actually did that with tequila. It is a long story. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so this is it really started at any at any level of, of mass production in the 1960s in, in Germany. And then in yeah. Canada, the first year there's really any record of sort of, of people launching into the market is 1978. Yep. So it is a fairly young... Fairly yep. young thing. Yeah, but, but but a huge industry in in in, in Canada, Niagara. Yeah, in absolutely. Yeah, yeah, really and yeah, right, and nor- way yeah. northern New York too. So uh, okay, uh, speaking of uh, relatively young, that would not be us. Um, but but I'm older. I was born before 1978. Yeah. Um, well. It was good for you because I'm 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 a relative babe. I was <laughs> I was before. In fact, I was born drinking ice wines. Um, the uh, but we talk about young markets, and that's one of the other things that is a young market is the sort of this now sweet blends. Yep. Um, you know, red wines and white wines both. You know, but <laughs> red blends with some sugar in them have become a giant part of the market. Right. For two reasons. One of them is they taste good, they're easy to drink, and given that a lot of people drink wines basically as cocktails rather than to go with their lobster thermidor, which is, I know, what you're having tonight for dinner, 
then you end up in that situation of wanting to drink I was having something. chicken marsala, actually. <laughs> you just want to drink that little glass of something that tastes good, and sweet wines taste good. So that's one reason people are drinking that. The other reason, though, is something we talked about a little earlier on this very show, which is what are the hottest new food trends in America today? Well, spice. Mexican food is big. Spicy Asian food yeah, is big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to add a third element, which is in a lot of restaurants these days, you're seeing sweet in the recipe, whether it's honey glaze on the ham, whether it's some some uh, stewed uh, plums with the pork. You're seeing different ways to get even the even the calamari are coming with a sh- sweet chipotle sauce. On yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, all that sweetness, when you pour a bone-dry wine with all that sweetness, it yeah. ends up making As the wine about, taste pretty right? much like enamel renewer. Yeah. And what you really want is something a little sweeter. So yeah. for all of those reasons, sweet wines are growing. Well, and, you know, it is another thing. And, and you know, you get that um, uh, our friend from uh, Marie uh, and her husband. And, yes. and they're eye-rolling at, you know, at folks that are sort of new to red wine and then— uh, and then are drinking these red blends, and there are many right. of them out there. Yep. And you know, first off, what do you care, right? You, people should drink what they like. That's right. Do, you know, it's the Coke Pepsi thing. Right. Are you are, you're part of the wrong, you know, the wrong right. tribe or something? You, well, know? you know. But hey, let's look at this a little different way, though, Rick. What if we took out wine and we said music? So they're sitting around the dinner table, and a friend says to them, you know, I really like Bon Jovi, and he says, Oh, that clown. Blah, blah, blah. You know what? That's not as snobby for some reason. That's not as snobby because somebody can say, you don't like Bon Jovi. You're an idiot. But in wine, when you say, oh, you like that Chardonnay, that's what everybody else. The, you the, know, but there's a reason for that. You're absolutely right. And there's, we, we, same thing, you know, the, the Cubs and the Mets. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm a Cubs right. fan, I'm a Mets fan. It's, and the Boy, reason is because. you winner teams right there between the I know. <laughs> well, it's, my, <laughs> I, I, it's, it's the world I live in, Paul, the, the also-rans. <laughs> hey, they're both in the playoffs <laughs> this year. Yes. They, uh, but, but. The thing about wine is, and this is why it's inexcusable to be that snobby person, is that because most people aren't comfortable enough with it yet. They're comfortable with their music, their food choices, their baseball teams. Maybe. And so I, 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 I think just, I, it just occurred to me there's another reason, which is no matter what kind of music you like, you can get a CD of that music for 15 bucks. If you drink wine... You can, if you're committed to it, you can drink $200 a bottle of wine and tell everybody who doesn't drink right. wine. Right. Well, that's the other part of it. It's you know? the, there's the I'm better than you. It's 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 not that I'm better than you for hating bon, John Bon Jovi. It's right. just I don't like John Bon Jovi and right. you're an idiot. But it doesn't. You know, it's not a it's there's not a not social a class thing. thing. And in yes. wine, it's a it's an in, it's a implied class thing. Yes. And so we say, don't make it a class thing and show uh, a little yeah. class. And is actually, what we say. I, let, let me let me just quote uh, um, a guy who we have occasionally reached for for quotes because he knows. There's a guy named Dan Jago. He is the wine director for Tesco, which is the giant supermarket in in England, in the UK, and, right? and right UK, and they have a huge impact on the market. And he's talking about how he is and you know in England they are very snobby in some ways but he says are know, they now I've heard this <laughs> uh, is that uh, he says stop it he says we, you know we can no longer focus on the top 5% of wine drinkers we need to embrace sweet wines whether it's grapes like Moscato's or red blends whatever is easiest for the consumers to understand he says 
It says our customers shouldn't have to get educated to buy our products. It's true, although Marie's husband is going to say, yes, but I'm in that top 5% yes. and the rest of you well, probably fine. like Just leave John us bon alone. Jovi. Well, yeah, I say leave us alone. And uh, and go off and drink uh, whatever you like and let right. the rest of us drink And if you'd like. really like to convince us how right you are, Marie's husband, the next time one of your friends brings up a wine and you say, oh, that's not very good, you should pull out one of the wines you think is great from your cellar and pour it for that person so he'll know the difference. There you go. I say, I say put your wine where your mouth is. And send us a bottle too. Yeah, no, that's it. Well, I'm speaking of putting your wine where you're, we're actually putting our mouths where our mouths are because <laughs> we are uh, we are about to take some questions. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. And as we go back to our mailbag, we want to remind you that if you'd like to ask us a question, we will give you credit. Or if you prefer, we won't use your name. It's been asked. <laughs> <laughs> go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word. And don't forget, you can also find us on iTunes. So speaking of sweet wines, we got a fr- uh, question from a woman named Monica Miller, who is a friend of mine. I admit mm-hmm, completely. Mm-hmm. Um, she's in Sacramento and she says we have a friend whose son is getting married and said they want to serve a sweet wine at the wedding at the wedding reception not an uncommon question any suggestions well first of all uh, congratulations because the worst wine and food combination on the planet is serving wedding cake with dry French champagne which everybody tries to do and it just tastes dreadful Um, so first of all if you're serving it with a wedding cake then I go for Moscato Uh, Moscato d'Asti is delicious stuff if you need a red wine you can get something like Rosa Regale from Bamfi that's a sparkling Brachetto d'Aqui. Um, gosh, there's a million yeah. sweet wines well, that are and fun that to was, drink. And that was my suggestion to her, too, was, was the sparkling Moscato is a really great place to start, especially if they're young and they want to yep. not spend some money. Lambrusco is another one. They've got you some know, bubbles. They're celebratory. And, of course, a lot of Prosecco. Yeah. Not the more expensive Prosecco Superiore, which is dare I say it, a more serious wine. But the yeah, average and expensive Prosecco is a little bit sweet. Good to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, And that's actually, you know, it's funny as, as we as we list these wines, and I'm just now thinking out loud, um, so really a lot of the Italian sparklings, you know, a lot of the yeah. light Italian sparklings. You should never think out loud. That's, right? I should never. I've been told I should never think. Well, now I think uh, or just maybe the I opposite. should start thinking, actually. That would be it. All right, <laughs> so that's, that's it. But, uh, but the, you know, those are, so those are a couple of, couple of good ones. All right, this is from Michael in South Lake Tahoe. Nice. Uh, we've, we get this kind of question a lot, and it's a good question for folks who don't know. Right? He said, how do they get all those flavors in a wine, like all the fruits or coffee or chocolate? Someone told me they infuse them like cookies and cream vodka. That can't be true. So first, let, let's talk about that vodka thing because they are absolutely infused. Some, you know, they're yes. either Sometimes if it's fruit flavors or spices, they're seeped. The vodka is actually seeped in Remember flavors. Remember that or they vodka just is made in, from potatoes. Yes. Right? right? So if you're tasting chocolate in your potatoes, yeah. Woo, yeah. they but, better be adding but something But with to all it. spirits, they're often just mixes, mixes right. of this, mixes right. of that. Now, and I do mm. need to clarify, there are wines that are made that way. Yes. And, but they cannot be called wine if they have things added to them. They can be called flavored wine, or they can be called apple wine, or they can be called wine with flavors added. But if it just says wine on the label, it has to be made only from grapes. And those delicate nuances, as we say in yes. the British upper class, those delicate nuances, they're actually in the flavor of the grapes. Yeah. Or in the barrels. Yeah. They are, well, and you think about we, we we think about what flavors are. You know, I mean flavors are just chemical compounds like anything else, right? We smells are smells and flavors are flavors. They're all are some different chemical that we smell. Right. And they just happen that's one of the, the wonders of wine, you know, at the at the risk of, of waxing poetic. 
I don't no, know why no, don't wax. wax. How do you wax poetry? I don't know. What you, is, you, you can wax you take your a, mustache, you but take don't a, wax You put poetic. some wax on your poetry book. <laughs> what kind of it, what kind of wax do you it use? Is, but it, I use I, I use uh, beeswax. Uh, no, it was the waxed barley or whatever we had <laughs> in one of our bad wine barley. writings. Polished barley. But that's you know, and <laughs> now we're going back to a really bad old joke with us. Uh-huh. It, the point being uh, is that one of the great things about wine is that. Wine grapes and the per- the process of making wine does bring out so many textures and nuances and flavors, and it's why we all fall in love with it, and it's yeah. why you can have these yeah. discussions. Although, we don't think that should be the descriptors, but we think that you can have this discussion about what you do get in wine. Well, and I, there is one element here that I think is kind of interesting is we're sitting there talking about how vodka is infused with whatever it's infused with. But to be fair, when you age a wine in an oak barrel, you are infusing it sure. with oak flavor. And that's some of the vanilla cinnamon character that you get in wine comes from the oak barrel. So sure, 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 sure. A lot and of when, it comes from grapes. A lot of it comes from barrels. And sometimes wines sit on yeasts, and then, then they get yes. that infuses the flavor themselves. The yes, yeast and they that get were, bubbles were, up their butt. Yeah, that's true. But they also get <laughs> they can get some creamy and bready flavors too. So there is a little of that going on. But yep. fundamentally, it's it's in there. It's in the grapes. Yes. All right, and this one is from uh, Josette in Santa Barbara. Mm. Um, I heard you guys say, <laughs> "This is me." I heard you guys say something about light affecting a wine a while ago, but I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Sorry. She sounds like she listens to our show. <laughs> I am. Most people, most people who listen to us seem to not pay attention. Now, That's right. What was including, that? Including Rick and me. Yeah. We'll do this quickly because we do have some Halloween pairings to get to. But, okay. Uh, but, uh, Ultraviolet light, when it hits wine, can deaden the fruit character of the wine, and it's why you should never buy a bottle that's been in a shop window. Yeah, and it was a a study that actually did this and proved it. So when you see wine in supermarkets, wines on the top shelf, which can often be the most expensive wines, wines particularly white wines because they're in lighter colored bottles, and wines in those big stacks, and even sometimes the first line wine in the lineup you know, on the right. shelf. Those so, are the sacrificial wines. You yeah, want one the sac- from the back. The Just like in the newspaper. Yes. Never take the top newspaper in a stack. Somebody it, could have stolen the funnies. I, I don't either. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's what it is. So it, it actually can, it can actually it, it take some stuff out. All right. We are zipping up our mailbag such as it is. We are moving on. If you'd like to ask us a question, remember it is uh, rickandpaulwine.com. All one word. And coming up, we have our Halloween food and candy pairing. We'll be right back. You're listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm laughing because now we are headed for some goofiness. Um, this is <laughs> wait a minute. This, that's something different. Because we've been really serious the rest of the show, and now, 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 now we're, we're going to get goofy. We're really going to turn useful um, or useless. Yeah. So. This is not the standard thing, but you know, folks are walking around the neighborhood. They're and they're stealing candy from their kids. That's right. That's <laughs> and they right. got a oh, glass honey, of wine. This one in isn't hand good for you. Yes, Let mommy take yes, that. Yes, mommy's taking all the good stuff. So we're going to actually tell you a handful of suggestions for drinking wine with these uh, some of the candies that you steal, and in, and they really are as you know because you could tell by the show they're going to be in the sweet category. Well, and you know, one of the things I want to point out here is it's not just for those people who steal candy from their children at the end of trick or treating. It's also for those of us who don't who no longer have children at home but we have now bought three bags of this candy and we've given out a bag and a half we got a bag and a half left what's the wine and food pairing to yeah. consume I, the rest of the candy we expected yeah. to give out to these kids. I go through those three bags before Halloween even comes along, and then i got to go back <laughs> and buy, buy some more. more. Right. Um, okay, so, so what's the first one? Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. 
Okay, Reese's Peanuts. So you got a little bit of nutty. You got a not particularly bitter chocolate. I would use something like a relatively youthful tawny port. So you got a little nuttiness from the port, and you got a little sweetness from it, and it should be delicious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think sort of any of the the sort of the lighter lighter colored sweet ones. Uh-huh. You know, where you know, a sherry might not be so bad either. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but a sweet sherry, not a, a sweet cherry. Yeah, yeah, no, sweet a sweet cherry. cherry. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay. N- another one. Now, uh, uh, um, I'm going to actually skip down to the a different version of uh, uh, the standard dark chocolate bar. A dark chocolate bar or dark chocolate bar with almonds. Right. Both of those kind of And remember that dark chocolate sometimes has a little bit of tannin, so then you can get away with something a little more. Maybe uh, a vintage port would be good. Yeah, that's where I'm going. I'm going a vintage port, a ruby port, any of the sort of those dark, I think a dark port, so dark you, chocolate. You're suggestion is you just match the color of the wine with the color it's of the pretty chocolate. pretty much how I do it. I, you try to match the color of wine and the color of my shirt, actually, <laughs> is, right. is, a, is a comment. And that way you, but, you know, it, and, although it ruins the disguise, because yeah. if you had if you had a costume and a white shirt and you spilled red right. wine all of it, you could convince people it was blood, and now you're really into Halloween. Right. So the other direction, which sort of is the, you ask, yes, that's right, I'm, I'm going to keep moving here so people get some information. <laughs> oh, it's too late for that, right? <laughs> Nestle's Crunch, which would actually encompass our our, uh, our kiss earlier the chocolate yeah. kiss that's the sweet milk chocolate yep yep well again i'm going to go for maybe a tawny port tawny port yeah yeah or you know what's what's really fun with something like that is an italian wine like that brachetto red wine but quite sweet and fruity Delicious. Yeah, and the Vinsanto, which is another common Italian that we talked about that mm. earlier in the show, because mm. that's you know that's also lighter and sweeter. And I think yeah, it, but it, that's got that nuttiness from the true. aging. I wouldn't that's go true. with the Vinsanto mm. here, Rick. I well, think you know what? That would go with actually our next pairing, which is Snickers. Ah, uh, yes. So the nuttiness Snickers and the Vinsanto. And Vinsanto. Boy, I, I can't I'm a, any. I'm a high end guy. Vinsanto is <laughs> currently turning off his radio and suing NPR yeah. for something. <laughs> All right. So uh, while we still have some time, I want to get to a couple of these. One is pumpkin flavored stuff. Okay. Pumpkin flavored stuff is often made with baking spices, and I'm going for a reserve or late harvest Gewürztraminer for exactly oh, that. Oh, very reason. nice. Very nice. See, I was thinking of a very sweet of sweet rieslings for the same. For the yep. slightly, you know, picking yep. up a little bit of the fruits. Yep. Um, and then uh, one that is kind of a harder pairing, which is gummy bears, the chewy gummy candies. <laughs> Paul's laughing. Do you? I'm is laughing because I have no. I, I got I'm nothing. Sorry, to do. I would not serve wine with gummy bears. I wouldn't either. <laughs> but you know, I I think this goes to our tequila shots. <laughs> I think you drop a couple in a in a martini and you drink the martini and then you eat the gummy bears and you should be fine. <laughs> yeah, right. I think I think that's about it for now. Um, fundamentally, you take some sweet wines out. Uh, you drink them with your candy. Um, you'll have a have a lovely time. And that is it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our engineer is Matt Bassini. And thanks, Matt. Thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use, as always, and for the ch- letting us spill chocolate all over the place. If you'd like to ask us a question, uh, go to Rick and Paul Wine, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on iTunes. And if you learned anything today, we hope it's that Halloween candy doesn't have to be scary. I'm Rick Cushman. <laughs> I'm Paul Wagner. Remember, the best wines that you drink are with friends. Or with us. Especially with us. 